This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Can government force a person to do or say something against his or her conscience? Don't the First Amendment guarantees of speech and religion protect people from this kind of governmental overreach? Well, the answer is yes and no. For example, the government recognizes the concept of conscientious objection, whereby a person cannot be forced to fight in the military if it violates established religious belief. No person can be forced to pray against their will. But increasingly, Christians find that these guarantees do not protect them when it comes to expressing belief in the biblical definition of marriage, especially in the business world. Christian business owners are being sued and even prosecuted for refusal to participate in or lend their talents to gay marriage. One such incident involves Arlene's Flowers in Washington State, whose owners, Baronel Stutzman, refused to make a special floral arrangement for a gay marriage ceremony. The gay couple, with the aid of the ACLU, filed suit, as did the state's attorney general. After losing twice in lower courts, the 71-year-old Stutzman appealed to the state Supreme Court. Oral arguments were heard earlier this month. Should Stutzman lose, she stands to lose her business, her life savings, and her home. Stutzman is being defended by the Alliance Defending Freedom. I speak with ADF attorney Kelly Fedorik about what's at stake for Stutzman and all people of faith in this case. And now today's Fast Track. I'm Sarah Golseth with news in brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. Alliance Defending Freedom sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services asking the agency to reject an administrative complaint that the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan filed on behalf of a woman who insisted that a Catholic health care system sterilize her. ADF explains in the letter that federal law protects Ascension Health, the nation's largest nonprofit health system and the world's largest Catholic health system from being forced to perform sterilization procedures in contradiction to its religious convictions. As the letter explains, not only does the federal church amendment offer such protections, but the Affordable Care Act on which the ACLU relies also protects Ascension by stating explicitly that nothing in the ACA shall be construed to have any effect on federal laws regarding conscience protection. The ACLU Foundation and the ACLU of Michigan filed the complaint after Genesis Regional Medical Center declined to sterilize a woman who demanded the procedure. Project Defending Life, a Catholic pro-life pregnancy center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, was targeted by an arson attack last Tuesday in what is being described as a possible hate crime by an FBI spokesman. The arsonist started one fire within the facility's chapel beneath a statue of Our Lady of Fatima. Canadian researchers are revisiting a hotly debated sociological question. Why do some churches decline while others succeed? Since the 1960s, overall membership in mainline Protestant Christian churches has been dropping in both the U.S. and Canada. But some congregations have continued to grow, and a team of researchers believes it now knows why. 
It's the conservative theological beliefs of their members and clergy, according to researchers from Wilfrid Laurier University and Redeemer University College in Ontario. The project surveyed more than 2,200 churchgoers from Anglican, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and United Churches in Ontario, according to an executive summary. Comparing the religious beliefs and practices of both the declining and growing churches, Haskell said more clergy and congregants of the growing churches held firmly to traditional Christian beliefs and were more diligent in practices such as prayer and Bible reading. That includes a more literal interpretation of the Bible and greater openness to the idea that God intervenes in the world, he said. World Liquor News Digest will be back right after these messages. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kev Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Ms. Kelly Fedorik, who's an attorney with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Ms. Fedorik, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom and have worked on a number of cases. We work to advance religious liberty across the country. Uh, specifically, the case we've been working on lately is the Arlene Flowers case out in Washington State. What is the issue with that case? Uh, the woman, as I understand it, has uh, faced civil suits and civil punishment for saying that she will not create special flower arrangements for same-sex marriage. Well, a little bit about, about some background on the case. Baronella, the 72-year-old grandmother, wife, artist, florist, she's been in business and a pillar in the community in the Tri-Cities area for over 40 years and has been friends with a, a gentleman who is now suing her, Rob Ingersoll. She has served him for over 10 years, created all sorts of floral arrangements for him and his partner for a host of events. But when her friend Rob came and asked her to create flowers for his same-sex wedding ceremony, she told him that she would need to refer him to a couple other florists because she couldn't in good conscience participate in that particular event. And Rob told her, you know, that he understood. They hugged. He left the shop. She thought everything was fine. And then a week later, the Washington State Attorney General, in an unprecedented fashion, filed a lawsuit uh, against her, trying to compel her to participate in an event that violates her convictions. And so now what's at stake in her case, she faces losing everything she owns, including her home, her business, her life savings, simply because she couldn't participate in one event after serving this, this gentleman for over 10 years. The case was held before the Washington State Supreme Court recently, in the last few days, and it was, uh, it was on the Internet. In fact, I followed it. There were some intriguing arguments and some points that were raised that I really had some questions about, specifically one of which was what constitutes compelled speech? Her point of view was, and the attorney's point of view, was that to create a special arrangement, use her artistic talent to do something out of the ordinary, and was if she was forced to do that for something that she didn't agree with, this would be compelled speech. The other side said it's not. Uh, do I have that argument done correctly? 
You do. The, the Constitution protects both the freedom to believe, but also the freedom to express those beliefs. So what that means is that the government can either force you to speak a message or force you not to speak a message that is inconsistent with your sincerely held beliefs. And what was fascinating about the arguments last week, you know, the attorney general made a significant concession. He conceded and said, when Baronell creates floral arrangements, that is, in fact, speech. But then he took it a step further, and, and in a frightening way, his assertion was, if you are a business, you no longer have First Amendment protection. And so what he went on to say was that, you know, for example, if you are a poet and someone comes to you and says, I want you to write this message, I want you to write this poem for me, that person has to do so. The government can come in and force that person to speak that message or write that message, even if it violates their beliefs. So this has a truly chilling effect for, for any American when the government can come in and say, your viewpoint you can no longer hold, you can never act or work consistent with that. Uh, that's a terrifying thought and very, have, have a very chilling effect on the freedom of speech that we have uh, so cherished in this nation for so long. Well, one hypothetical that was raised by the justices themselves uh, would be in the case of a uh, freelance voice artist. And I happen to have done some freelance voice work in the past. And uh, the question was, would the person, for example, if I had been hired to do a voiceover for something I found morally abhorrent, say the Ku Klux Klan, uh, would I be within my rights to reject it? Apparently, from what I heard the attorney general say, I would not have been within my rights. I would have had to do that. That's right. According to the AG of, of Washington State, his, according to his logic, if you are an atheist singer, the government can say you must sing at this Christmas service. You must sing at this Easter service. If you're a Democrat speechwriter and you write speeches, you have to write speeches for Donald Trump, even if you don't agree with that. You know, it's fascinating. We just recently saw there was a dress designer who said, you know what, I don't agree with President-elect Trump, and, and I don't want to design dresses and use my artistic ability to design dresses for Melania. Well, that's perfectly within her freedom to do so. But what I'm we're seeing sure here is a double standard and where she, the dressmaker, is lauded for doing so. Baronella is facing losing everything she owns simply because the government doesn't agree with her viewpoint. But that goes back to the beauty of why we have these fundamental freedoms in the first place. Every American should be protected and able to live consistent with their beliefs free from fear of government punishment, regardless of if those beliefs happen to be unpopular at a given time in history. In fact, I have a press release on the Sophia Thalet uh, case. She's the one who has refused to do any uh, any clothing work for the first family. And she said, I'm, I'm quoting her here. These are her direct words. That she will not participate in dressing or associating in any way with the next first lady. And then she goes on to explain, we value our artistic freedom and always humbly seek to contribute to a more humane, conscious, and ethical way to create this world. And then she says she considers a family work to be, again in her words, an expression of artistic and philosophical ideas. And yet she, she and I suppose many of her supporters, see no conflict with her refusing to do that as opposed to Baron L. Stutzman refusing to use her artistic talents for something that she finds morally abhorrent. Well, exactly. And I, I think what this what this signifies and shows really what's at stake in Baranel's case and why everyone should be paying very close attention to what the Washington State Supreme Court does and what happens as this case continues is that all Americans, including working artists, uh, they're free to express their beliefs in their daily lives and in, in their work. And we don't abandon, Americans don't abandon those freedoms 
when they open a creative business. Well, it seems that the AG was disagreeing with that completely. He says that when you do start a business, you do lose that right. Well, exactly. He was essentially arguing that the government has the power to arbitrarily veto constitutional freedoms and punish citizens uh, for exercising those those freedoms. But that is that is completely contrary to what the Constitution said. It's unconstitutional. It's, it's also un-American. And so ultimately, we're asking for justice in this case as we move forward, that the court will uphold Baronel's freedoms um, that belong to every American. One thing I noticed uh, was that the prosecuting, pardon me, the attorney general and the other attorney were constantly raising uh, the notion that this is the same thing if someone were to refuse to serve uh, an African-American based on a deeply held belief. I don't see the equivalency here. I mean, this is strictly a religious one. We can point to uh, numerous scriptures that say that this is this is the way it has to be. I'm unaware of any religious scriptures that say that about race. Well, and more than that, too, this case is fundamentally different. The fact that they're trying to make the distinction uh, really doesn't doesn't make sense. I mean, if you look at Baronell and if you look at the facts, Baronell served Rob and her his partner, Kurt, for 10 years. So it had nothing to do with his sexual orientation. She knew very well that he identified as gay, and that never mattered. She was happy to create plural arrangements. What was at stake in this, in this particular case was because of her belief about marriage. Because of her belief about marriage, she couldn't participate in one event. But if you ask Baronelle, she'll tell you if Rob came in her, her store today, she would hug him, catch up on his life, and continue to serve him and create floral arrangements for him for other events for you know the next 10, 20 years as long as he would like them. So this is, is vastly different than, than the, those distinctions the court was trying to, to bring up. Um, and the facts, the facts speak for themselves in this case. And, of course, she had served many other people. She served Muslims. She served Jews. She served atheists. This has been... This was never in 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 uh, dispute. In fact, even the attorney general mentioned that that she had served a broad variety of people. He simply said, "Well, why wouldn't she do it again this one last time?" Well, the thing, right? And I, you know, she continues to. I mean, she has both served and employed individuals who identify as LGBT, and and she continues to. She still has, um, you know, lesbian or you know, goes to identify as gay and lesbian individuals coming into her shop and asking her for floral arrangements for a wide variety of events. She's more than happy to do so. What she can't do is use her artistic ability to create floral arrangements, to, to participate in a wedding ceremony that violates the very core of, of her faith and what her faith teaches her that that marriage is. Also, the vast majority of mainstream Christian religions Obviously, the Missouri Synod, of which I'm a member, Roman Catholics, Southern Baptists, many others say that marriage is between a man and a woman. This is not a fringe uh, belief. This is a, a belief that is held by mainstream Christians who are the majority in this country. You're absolutely right. I mean, diverse cultures, faiths, traditions for centuries have supported the belief or adhered to that belief that, that marriage is between a man and a woman, that children have a right to know both their mother and father. This is very common sense. And even the U.S. Supreme Court, when they redesigned marriage last year, they stated very clearly in the majority opinion that people of goodwill will will continue to uphold a belief that marriage is one man and one woman. This is, you're right. It's not a fringe belief. It's not, a, it's not an odd belief. It's a belief that many, many Americans hold. And 
and regardless, it's deserving of protection by the government. It's a, it's a fundamental First Amendment freedom that we cannot be forced to violate our convictions or to speak or participate in something that violates our core beliefs. To do, to do so is unconstitutional and it's also un-American. You're referring to the Obergefell decision, which uh, recognized gay marriage. Now, I've read that decision, and both the dissenters on it, for example, Alito and uh, Thomas, were explicit in their fear that this was going to make mainstream Christians a target. And as you pointed out, even the majority ruling said, even though this is a right, there are people of goodwill who do not believe this, and they are not, by definition, bigots. And I think that what's happening here is that we're seeing that the uh, Attorney General of the state of Washington is ignoring, actually, a significant part of the Supreme Court's ruling. Oh, he, he absolutely is. Not only is he ignoring that, I mean, he's also ignoring a wide, wide body of, of case law that underscores and affirms the fact that the government cannot come in and dictate what you say or how people think, what they what they do, what they believe, even in an area of a public accommodation. There's Supreme Court precedent that's very, very clear on that, that even in the area of public accommodation, the government cannot coerce you to advance a message or participate in an event that violates your convictions. And so that's what's so unique and essential to the American democracy, to, to what we appreciate about the diversity of an America. We can have a wide variety of viewpoints, and the government's role is not to dictate what viewpoints we hold, but to protect our ability to, to live those out in our day-to-day lives. And so that's really what's at stake in this case, is will... Americans continue to be free from government coercion and punishment to express their beliefs in their daily life without fearing going out of business, or is the government going to become increasingly essentially the thought police and, and dictating what people can what people can believe and what people cannot do? Something else that really struck me on this the uh, disproportional punishment for this case. Uh, all she said was, "No, I'm not." I, I think even the uh, the uh, uh, the complainants said that their actual out-of-pocket loss was like $7 for gasoline to go to another florist. <laughs> and yet, and yet... This... That's, well, that's right. It was, it was for, their, for the gas money. But what, what's going to cause her to lose everything she owns, including you know, her house and her savings, is that already the ACLU's attorney's fees are well over a million dollars. And we, we haven't even concluded at the state Supreme Court. We just had oral arguments there. So that's that's she's facing facing a lot, um, a lot at stake if she loses. And what's tragic is that this is what she's facing. We're watching Baronell and others across this country facing threat of losing everything they own, fines, even jail time, simply because they can't participate in one event. They 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 refer these individuals to, to someone else. You know that's that is a truly frightening thought to think that the government can tell you if you don't speak the message I want you to speak then you can face literally going out of business and no longer able to contribute to to your community and to everyone that has grown for decades now so accustomed to having um, Baronel and and the, the, the beautiful floor arrangements that she's able to provide uh, to the community. Yeah, the punitive aspect of this really, really bothers me. It, you know, it's, it's not enough to simply say she's wrong. I mean, they, they are doing everything except putting her up against a wall and shooting her. Right. Well, and it was interesting too. What we what we found out in, in discovery and the other side um, in the gentleman's depositions, you know, they they stated that they had enough free offers for flowers to do twenty weddings. So they were they they there was not a, um, a problem of them not being able to find a florist to create flowers 
um, for their wedding ceremony. But the government comes in and says, well, no, we, we want to force you, Baronelle, to do so. Um, even though you've served these gentlemen for 10 years, you would do anything else for them. You just can't participate in, in one event. And so, it's, yeah, it took a step back, and I think all of us have to wonder, you know, what is our line? And, and if, the, if the shoe's on the other foot, do we want the government to come and tell us what we have to, to speak or to act or to do? I think the question, the answer would be no. We want the government to be freedom's greatest protector, its best friend, uh, not its worst enemy, which is currently the case in Washington State. Well, where are we going now? The uh, Supreme Court has heard the, the oral decisions. What happens from this point? Well, usually the Washington State Supreme Court, it will issue a ruling anywhere between 90 and 120 days. So we're looking at probably the March time frame, you know, early spring, when we expect a decision back from, from the court. So, you know, it's it's hard to hard to say exactly how the court will rule, but how the court should rule is it should uphold Baronelle's First Amendment freedoms to to speak and to consistent with her beliefs and uphold uphold freedom. What we're asking for is justice in her case. If it rules against Ms. Stutzman, is there any recourse or is that the end of it? If they rule against her, we will be appealing to the United States Supreme Court. So obviously that's that's the highest court in the land. So if if um, if the court doesn't go the right direction, we will be appealing her case and asking the U.S. Supreme Court to take it and to review it and to uphold her freedoms at that point. If she wins. If, if she wins. Yes. Either, either side can appeal it to the U.S. Supreme Court. So more than likely, this, this case will be headed to the U.S. Supreme Court at some point in the next in the next couple of years. So, you know, people should be paying really close attention because, you know, what's at stake here is, is really the freedom of all of us. Will we continue as Americans to be able to be free to to operate and live consistent with our beliefs? So there's, there's a lot at stake. Well, a trend I've seen in a number of states is that the uh, supposed anti-discrimination clauses are actually generated from unelected commissions rather than through the legislature. Uh, these are being done by, by regulatory fiat. And that, I find, is a very disturbing trend. Are you seeing this as well in other states? It's very, it's very disturbing because, you know, as, well, interestingly enough, in the past five years, no state has adopted a statewide law like the law in Washington State that Baronelle is being sued under. And I think the reason for that is that, you know, Americans and their elected representatives are recognizing, one, these laws really aren't necessary. There is no, you know, pattern and practice of invidious discrimination against those who identify as, as gay or lesbian. But secondly, people are realizing these laws are really chosen horses. They're being used by the government as a vehicle, like they provide the force of law to, to force people to, to, to violate their beliefs. And if they don't, they face, they face government punishment. So increasingly, we're not seeing these laws enacted at the state level. We're actually seeing them rejected. But unfortunately, there's been an increased push on the local level to push them through. And so it's important for us to be paying attention to make sure that you know, if a law like this is introduced in the city council, for example, that we're stepping up and we're looking at that and looking at the way it's written and, and asking the question, is this, is this necessary or sh- should we be ensuring that freedom um, exists for, for all of us, everyone in the community? I mean, again, the government shouldn't be able to, to use these state or local laws to go after its citizens, and that's exactly how they're being used. So these laws are a real threat, and the more aware we can be as 
citizens in these different communities, the better to ensure that freedom continues to flourish for, for all of us and not just for a few of us. One case I've been following is in the state of Iowa, where the Iowa Civil Rights Commission initially put out a ruling that said that a church is a place of public assembly. And therefore, it could not do anything that would be exclus- uh, that, that would be exclusionary, including speech. And it was asked specifically, the commission was asked specifically, if this meant that churches could not talk about homosexuality in a negative way. And the commission said, yes, that is correct. Now, subsequently, the commission has withdrawn that position. But they have said, well, we still reserve the right to make that ruling, even though we're not stating it specifically at this time. That's right. I mean, increasingly, we're seeing um, these types of laws being used uh, in an ever more far-reaching way to even reach into the churches, into the pulpits, and dictate what the pastors can and can't say. Uh, and that was how it was happening in Iowa. We're currently litigating a case on this very topic in Massachusetts. You know, luckily in Iowa, the federal district court held that churches are not public accommodations subject to government control. And then state officials have no business determining, you know, what pastors say from the pulpit or what church activities that they that they engage in. But you raise a very important point, and that is these types of laws increasingly are restricting and over-regulating people's freedoms. And they're reaching into churches, they're re- reaching into nonprofits and ministries and uh, good, in, in, good nonprofits, businesses across the country that are simply trying to serve everyone and live consistent with their with their mission and and with their with their beliefs and and the government shouldn't be able to coerce its citizenry it should be able it should be protecting them and letting freedom truly flourish the idea being that the uh, free expression of religion is an end at the church door exactly i mean this, this idea that it only goes in so far as the four walls of the church is truly antithetical to what the Constitution exists to protect in the first place. I mean, none of our beliefs stay with us. You know, even Michelle Obama noted that. She talked about, you know, your beliefs don't stay with just with you on Sunday. They follow you Monday through Saturday as well. And, and that's true for all of us. Our our deepest conscience that we form and we try to live, live according to, it doesn't just stay in the four walls of the church. It comes with us whether we're at work or at school, or whether we're in our day-to-day activities. It's our conscience that informs and inspires our lives, and the government shouldn't silence that. Well, Ms. Fedoric, we're about running out of time. I want to thank you for joining with me today and explaining the situation. Uh, do you have any final words, for example, how people can get in touch with the ADF? Well, for more information about Baronel's case or other issues that ADF is fighting on the religious liberty, free speech front across the country, you can go to adflegal.org. And there will be a lot of information about a number of our cases that we're currently litigating to defend people's freedom to live consistently with their faith without fear of government punishment. Thank you very much. I appreciate you being on the program. Thanks so much. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. 
You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.